Hey folks, welcome into another edition of the 615 Preps Podcast. My name is Chris Brooks alongside Scott Burton. Thanks for joining us this week. Got a lot to get to, but we start with a little bit of a recap of week seven in Middle Tennessee. A couple of upsets as 2020 decides it's, it's going to 2020. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just when you think you've got a handle on things, right? Yeah. And you, you get a, a result like uh, a Rossview uh, defeating Mount Juliet, uh, which, you know, I'm sure wrecked uh, several brackets, not just mine. Yeah, I've filed that under uh, results we didn't see coming. That was one of them. Um, Pope John Paul II edged out an NBA 38-35. In that. Tell you what. The Knights have, have come to play. You know, they've had even injuries at the quarterback spot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. They've been able to to work through those and, and keep going forward. And, and uh, here's one that that really jumped out at me because I didn't see this coming, and I don't think they even saw it coming. Green Hill getting win number one. Yeah. Over Stratford. Yeah. Fifty uh, fifty two to six. Yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't just a, a, a whoops accidental win. I mean that. <laughs> That that was a, a solid court, you know. It's a solid win, no matter who you are. Um, yeah, just a lot of just when you think you got a handle on the season, uh, you know, and there you go. Yeah, and uh, um, we start getting to like fall break for some teams this week. There's a little bit of a lighter schedule around. A lot of games on Thursday night this week, including CPA and Raven. We'll get to that one later and who you got, but. Uh, could be more. Okay, yeah, it could be more. Uh, we potential for weather again this week is is in is in the forecast. So we'll see what happens. Well, we were kind of old hats at Thursday anyway because you covered a game Thursday. Um, did you not? Did I? I did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I was. You a remember Creek. where you were? I was at Stewart's Creek. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been out of it. I've been out of it for so long that I've kind of forgotten yesterday, no, much less. No, I, I trust me. I yeah, I, I get it. Um. But, yeah, it was a good chance for us to get out and see some Metro programs. Yeah, yeah, had McGavick, McGavick at Stewart's Creek. Uh, it was a bit lopsided. Stewart's Creek won 49-6. Yeah. I, I got to get out to Antioch, which is the first time I'd gotten out there. But this was the first game that I covered there where there was nobody in the stands. Yeah. And it it definitely gives a, a different dimension. Uh, I learned some words. Um <laughs> um can you say them here or not no they are not safe for work they're right. not safe for the, they're not safe for podcasts okay um but uh it was a really it, whoa <clears throat> sorry peter brady i'm starting the voice is changing <laughs> um it was actually a very very good game uh it was a lot closer uh it got you know it got put away late uh by hunter's lane but uh, a, a very game it was a three point game into the fourth quarter, and still a uh, chance for them uh, for Antioch to take the lead, and it just didn't work out. Uh, but again, it was nice to see those kids out there playing. Uh, it was nice to see the uh, the cheerleaders out there cheering, even though there was you know there's no band, there was no fans. There's, uh, I mean there there was some faculty, yeah, but that was it. But it was totally a, a really weird environment. And Friday, I wound up at uh, at Smyrna. King Ridge was over there, and um, I kind of feel like these Metro teams only having a couple of games under their belt. 
it, it showed in some on-field stuff as far as like penalties and you know even a conditioning at this point. You know, your game legs are not completely under you. Kane Rich had a lot of pre-snap penalties offensively. Smyrna would do a lot of shifting up front on defense on their defensive line, and every time they would have a, a quick shift, then a Kane Rich lineman would jump, and that has happened more than enough on on Friday to to make a season's worth of penalties, but it happened in one game. But Kane Ridge able to come back, got got the ball for one final drive, had to go 99, 99 yards in a minute twenty with no with no timeouts. Got all the way down to about the the fifteen yard line and then had an interception on the last play of the game of Smyrna sealed the win for them. A big win for Smyrna because that's huge for their region standings to be seated ahead of the Ravens because when you have to go up against Region 6 in that 6A playoff bracket, you don't want to have to go up against Independence or Ravenwood or Brentwood in the first round, and Smyrna is on track to avoid that. Yeah, and there was one thing about the game that you brought up um, you know, afterwards, and that was the importance of special teams. Uh, it was a three-point game? A yeah, three-point game, yeah, and, and Kane Ridge missed all four of their extra point attempts for one reason or another. Yeah, I, that was the one thing I think uh, – you, after after the game, you and I discussed briefly uh, the importance of uh, you know what we'd seen, and that yeah. was the one thing that st- stood out to me uh, was that importance of that game. So, but it sounds like it was a great, great game and in a great atmosphere. It was, and uh, it's the first time for me getting out to Sperner, which was nice. Uh, it's a, a nice place to to see a game from, and uh, I recommend you going over there if you get a chance. Well, I was there for uh, last year's playoff game. Was the dog out there? I did not see the dog. I did not see the dog. I can't remember its name. It's I think it was Ace, wasn't it? It is Ace, yes. It yeah. was Ace's doghouse. Yeah. Because uh, I think uh, we got a shot of it last year. Uh, it was the Independence Smyrna playoff game last okay. year. Yeah. No, yeah. no, Ace was not out there this week, last week. Well, so. Corona, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It affects dogs, too. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> I was at Overton. Overton was not there. Um. <laughs> Uh, I was at Overton for Beach Hillsboro. Um, another another atmosphere with no no fans in the stands. Uh, it was really kind of interesting. As we were pulling in, it looked like Beach had a tailgate going over on the side about half a mile from the field. <laughs> um, it was probably parents going to bring their kids home or probably either listening to it on the radio or streaming it, you know, because I believe it was available. Um, but the weirdest thing was is you could hear the FRA game right over the hill. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was the strangest thing because uh, every once in a while you'd hear a PA announcement and strangely, what's going on with the PA? Oh, that's not here. That's over there. Yeah. Uh, but this was a, a really interesting game. This was Hillsborough's game early. Um they took the opening kick. They drove down the field. They get a TD pass from uh, Jalen Macon to Mike East Jones. They hold Beach on their opening drive. They were physical. Their defensive line did an outstanding job of not letting Tyson Jefferson or Patrick Hill get to the next level. Um, they actually had an opportunity to go up 14 to nothing, but and it was a very long Pretty much on the mark pass, I would say it's over fifty, almost close to sixty yards in the air, uh, and receiver dropped it in the end zone. Could have put them up fourteen to nothing, and really put Beach in a hole. 
Uh, but then the things that you're afraid of when you haven't been able to play or practice to your full ability begin to surface. They were confusion in personnel groupings, uh, impatience, penalties, drop passes, um, you know, mistakes you can't make against a decent team, mistakes you absolutely can't have against a team like Beach. Um, because after a while, you know, once Beach had weathered that initial threat, then the running game got going. It only takes a sliver for Tyshawn Jefferson to make you pay. And he did just that. He found a seam, goes off for a long run, then falls it up. They tie the game. And it's that way uh, until just before the half. And it was probably going to be the last play of the half. Patrick Hill breaks a 22-yard sprint. And you know it's fourteen nothing, and that's how the that's all the scoring there was. Uh, Beach did have a chance to put it away, missed a field goal attempt. Um, Hillsboro had a chance to tie the game late, and uh, had one, another pass dropped in the end zone. Uh, had another one that was bobbled on the last play of the game at about the five that would have been a first down. So. Uh, now Beach gets a bye week and then station camp before they go into Gallatin, and Hillsborough gets another shot at a region win go, uh, coming up on Glenscliff. But again, another, you know, it was a, a really, really good game for us to cover and a, a great pick by the fans for the fan game. Yep. Yeah. We had some good picks last week for sure. Um, and getting to see those Metro teams was, was nice to be able to get some of them covered this week. And, uh, be interesting to see how they handle things in the next few weeks because you know, you know them just getting going and uh, we'll see how how those teams end the regular season in their particular region races. We've got a lot to get to in this episode. We've got Brandon Martin from VR2 joining us in the next segment, but we got to get to our Player of the Week sponsored by Citizens Bank and a, and a pretty nice little fan vote going on for that one this week as well. But let's go through our finalists first. Blake Barton, Grace Christian Academy, 271 rushing yards, five touchdowns on 21 carries, and had four catches for 62 yards. They lost 55-46 at Friendship Christian. In that same game, Don Dunning for Friendship Christian had 37 carries for 339 yards and four touchdowns. So a lot of points and a lot of yards by those two backs in that game. Raynan Blackburn from White House, 27 carries, 224 yards, two touchdowns, threw for 106 yards and a score as White House beat Portland in overtime 32-31. Xavion Clements from Cane Ridge, 22 of 35 passing, 328 yards, two touchdowns, and also ran for a touchdown for the Ravens in that loss at Smyrna. Brandon Jones from Good Pasture had 84 yards rushing with two touchdowns, 30 yards receiving, and a 90-yard kickoff return for a score as they beat FRA 30-3. Alex Crank from Stewart's Creek, 7-7, seven of seven, passing 132 yards and two touchdowns. Also ran for 111 yards and another score as they dusted McGavick 49-6. Kenny Minchie from Pope John Paul II, 23-30 for 300 yards, two touchdowns, and had eight carries for 44 yards in their win at NBA. And Luther Richardson from Lipscomb Academy, 15 of 21 for 305 yards and three touchdowns, and their shutout win over Briarcrest Christian. 
The fans voted, and this one just wrapped up as Brandon Jones had 32% of the vote, Brandon Blackburn 25% of the vote, Don Dunning 17%, Blake Barton 14%, Luther Richardson 10%. That's that was, their votes. Yeah, that was uh, it was pretty close. Uh, we appreciate everybody who participated in in the vote. Um, now it comes to to us and. Uh, you know, looking at this, you know, th- there, there are a lot of worthy candidates on there. So there always are. Um, but my vote's going to go for a guy who I think meant more for the win for his, for his particular school, his particular game. Uh, and that is Rainin Blackburn from White House. I, I just think that his, ga- uh, his performance was all there was. Uh, it, it was – it was if he doesn't have that there there's no win there at all uh to me i think that uh, his performance was just you know outstanding um so that's where i'm going i'm good with that uh i think that his performance was big in a game that they absolutely had to have and white house is in a playoff spot right now because of his performance so congratulations to Raina blackburn as the White House running White House senior is the Citizens Bank Player of the Week for Week Seven, and we'll get some get some goodies out to him very soon. So, yeah, and it's uh, time to announce our spotlight game of the week and our fan game. Chris, what's our spotlight game? That's going to be NBA at Brentwood Academy, and want to thank ninety seven Sports Promotions for hopping on board to sponsor our coverage of that game this week. Looking forward to that one to be a Friday between two bitter rivals. Yeah, and uh, 97 Sports Promotions, they, they do good work. They also uh, do our Player of the Week helmets, too. <laughs> we've, seen their, we've seen their work in person. Yes. And uh, the fan game is the game that you guys voted on. It was pretty much a runaway. Uh, you want us to cover the White House Heritage at White House game. Uh, so that's our fan game of the week, and that's the game I will be at. On Friday. Yeah, as long as it doesn't get moved. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Lord willing and the hurricane don't blow us away. <laughs> right, yeah. But after the break, we'll talk with Brandon Martin from VR2. At, we'll get to a little bit of recruiting news coming around the around the corner. This is the 615 Preface Podcast, so stay with us. Hey, folks. If you want to support high school football coverage all across Middle Tennessee, let 615 Preps help. We have sponsorship opportunities for the 2020 season to suit all needs and budgets. For more information, shoot us an email at 615preps at gmail.com. That's 615preps at gmail.com. 615preps, Friday night's finest play here. Welcome back to the 615 Preps podcast. Always a pleasure to speak with Brandon Martin of Vol Recruiting Reports. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know you guys have had a lot of uh, of good stuff coming across lately with recruiting and uh, a lot of college football content as well. Um, you guys, I think, went to Sports Illustrated, correct? Yep, we have joined up with the Sports Illustrated Network since uh, we've had an opportunity to talk last. It's been a, a great opportunity for us. We've really enjoyed it. Uh, still doing what we do. And still doing what we do kind of made our bones. We are out on the road every week. We're going to as many games as we can get. We're recruiting these guys. But 
more on the team coverage for us. It's a really, really exciting time to be part of this SI family. Uh, you can find our work at si.com slash college slash Tennessee. Just a, a lot of fun for us to be able to be out here and be working for SI and with SI to make all this happen. Uh, exciting time for us. Tennessee's put together a really nice recruiting class nationally. Uh, the football team is off to a really good start. They look strong, look stronger than they've looked in a lot of years. And Tennessee basketball is in a great spot, and it looks like they're ready to compete for a national championship this year. So really exciting time for us. Fun to be part of Sports Illustrated. But, man, a lot of fun to be back on with you guys. It's been way too long. I'm, I'm excited to get to talk with you. Yeah, it has been, it has been a minute. <laughs> Normally, right now, mid-state teams would be on fall break, and you'd have recruits taking campus visits. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has kind of cut that out. What are you hearing about possibly when they might be able to get back on campus to take visits? Well, right now, the NCAA has extended the dead period for official visits to to at least January 1st. Uh, There are a lot of movements from high school students, both seniors and juniors, that are trying to get this repealed or get this lifted because these kids are not able to go take visits to the schools they want to, they want to go to. Uh, The big issue is that an an official visit, the one of the differences in an official visit and an unofficial visit is that the official visit is on the school's dime. The school pays the bills if they decide to fly you out. So if you have interest from a school, a great distance from your home, you really need, not everyone does, but a lot of families, a lot of students and their families need an official visit. Uh, I'll use for an example here, Mike Norvell is the new head coach at Florida State. Well, Norvell has been in Memphis for a long time. He's got a lot of ties in Memphis, North Mississippi, and into Louisiana. A lot of those kids that he has recruited in the past and the kind of guys that he's trying to target and bring in they're going to require an official visit come to come down there to see him. So it's, it's limiting opportunities for a lot of these kids, as well as it's limiting the opportunities these kids have got to meet with coaches and get to know them uh, one-on-one individually to talk with them and to figure out what their position coaches at the next level think of them and, and, and what they're like. So it's, it's really taken a lot of opportunity from these kids. Now, a lot of your seniors have had an opportunity to – go to junior days if they're a national type talent but a lot of your your uh excuse me a lot of your seniors have been your juniors this year your class of 2022 guys they've not had an opportunity to go anywhere they've not they've not gone anywhere they've not gone to these junior days they didn't have them they've not had a chance to go to these campuses so they're really going in you've got schools that are trying to put a class together but the kids are not wanting to commit because they've not been there or they've not been around the coaching staff that much. So it's a, it's a real issue right now. And I think it's going to lead to seeing a lot of coach. I think it's going to lead to seeing a lot of kids stay closer to home than we typically see. What about uh, Metro Nashville kids? They, they got a late start of the season. You know, how, how, how have things been as far as they're concerned? I mean, they're getting filmed. So, I mean, they're, they're in a better shape than they were or, they're in better shape than Memphis is, but you know, what kind of impact has this had on, on their recruiting? Well, the important thing for Metro Nashville is they are having a season. 
Uh, a lot of these coaches evaluate based on senior film. Uh, being able to have that senior film is huge. Uh, there are states right now that aren't playing until the spring. There are certain cities like, like Shelby County Schools in Memphis that aren't, aren't playing at all yet. And that's really hurting those kids. That's really hurting their opportunities. For Metro Nashville, Metro Nashville is also very fortunate that they have a lot of programs with a lot of talent and a lot of Power 5 talent, a lot of FBS talent. So when these teams play each other, you're not just getting senior film, but you're getting senior film against quality competition, which is something else that coaches really want to see. You're going to have an opportunity to compete in the playoffs you're going to be able to participate there any season, any season at all, any season, any film that you're able to get as a senior is an advantage. And for some of these kids that may be a late bloomer, this is a huge opportunity for them to come out and, and show on film that they deserve a shot at the next level. A lot of these coaches, they're going to take a kid that has got senior film over a kid that doesn't. And, that's why a lot of people have uh, Virginia, for example, a lot of people have really laid really heavy onto Virginia because they've said, but well, we're going to play in the spring. It's like you're starting your, you're starting your football season for your seniors after signing day. You've, you've completely cut your kids out of a, out of a class if they were a borderline case or needed that senior year. I mean, you've, you've really done a disservice to your kids. So for Metro Nashville to be, to be playing at all right now is a huge, huge advantage for their kids. These kids that are uh, not going to be able to play or not going to be able to play the spring, what what can they do uh, to get uh, themselves uh, seen or get themselves recruited? I imagine that the, I imagine that the the ones that are already close to being signed will probably just opt out. Well, it's. It's one thing if you were if you were already a national level talent or you already had a good idea of where you were going, uh, if you had strong offers to multiple places uh, as a top end or a pretty high end guy, that's one thing. Uh, some of these other kids that are a little bit borderline or not really sure how how good are they, how much have they developed as seniors. Maybe they were a little bit of project, and I need to see what they've grown into. When you have guys like that, they're not going to have an opportunity, I'm afraid, to go anywhere, or they're probably going to wind up going to a much smaller, a much smaller school than they would normally have gone to uh, if, if they can get in anywhere. It's, uh, it, it's just a disservice to the kids. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of those kids, those high-end kids, uh, and, and I'll use Virginia again for example. A lot of those high-end kids in Virginia, they're they're just not going to play. They're not going to risk getting hurt in the spring if they've already signed uh, a letter of intent to go somewhere or try to enroll early. There's they're just not going to play. There's no point in them playing in high school. And I hate to put it that way, but the risk of getting injured in high school after you've already signed that LOI, there's no real point in it especially when you could if your grades are good or you've got an opportunity to graduate high school a little early if you have a chance to go and be a early enrollee and go ahead and be with your pro be with your program be with your college program that's where you need to be 
So, yeah, I, I think a lot of those kids are just going to opt out. Unfortunately, there haven't been camps. We've not seen that. We've not seen the seven-on-sevens. That, that got cut down early. Uh, these kids have really been pretty seriously limited in their opportunities to get exposure, and losing that senior season or losing that junior season is a really big blow really big blow for these kids do you anticipate that we're going to see uh maybe a larger number than usual of uh walk-on uh, offers i think you're going to see a lot of walk-on offers uh the way that things have gone in in the ncaa with them deciding to make this an eligibility free year you don't have to lose a year of eligibility to play this year which I'm normally extremely critical of the NCAA. I don't usually say this, but I think this is a rare occasion of the NCAA doing something right. Uh, I like that they did that, but it's created an interesting dynamic because some of these kids are, you're, you're going to have a lot of seniors that next year when the, uh, next year when everything is said and done, when the season's over with, they are going to be sitting around going, you know, maybe I want to improve my NFL draft stock. Maybe I am hurt and want to come back for another year. Maybe I'm not going to be an NFL guy, but I'm good enough to help my college team, and I want one more free year of education toward a, a master's program or something like that. Or if I'm a fifth-year senior, maybe something toward a graduate program. So these kids are – are going to be in an in an interesting spot. I think you're going to see a lot of. I think you'll see a lot of walk-ons because a lot of kids are not going to have the opportunity they thought they were going to have. You're going to have certain programs that aren't able to have as big a signing class as they would normally have because they're going to keep some of those seniors, uh, and you're going to see a lot of grad transfers. I think you're going to see a lot of kids that would normally. Uh, maybe leave a program that want to take one more shot, they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to move to another program for one year trying to get to the league, and it may create less opportunities for these for these seniors coming out. Right. Well, going back, bringing back to the, the mid-state, now let me tell you, if, if you ever see – if you ever see Brandon on the sideline, you get excited because you know there's there's some talent out there on the field. Um, you know, is if you can say, or is there any anybody in the in the mid state that you are keeping your eye on right now? One of the guys I'm really interested to see where he winds up is Javon Nelson down at Riverdale. Uh, I got a chance to see him earlier this year. There are. There are several. There were several guys in that game that were were a lot of fun to watch. I got to see uh, go when they played Fisher Anderson and Franklin, so I had the opportunity to watch Nelson go head to head with one of the best players in the state, the 2022 class, in in Fisher Anderson. I, I really was impressed with Nelson. I think he is a pure four three defensive end. Uh, I don't think three four teams are going to be really interested in him. And it's not a lack of talent by any means. I think it's a body type thing. He, you're not going to put a lot of weight on him. He's a very, very he's he's thick and he's well built. He's got a lot of muscle. 
He uses his hands well, but that his frame is not going to carry a lot more weight. I think if you try to take weight off of him, you're going to cost him some strength. And I think that's a big part of his game. I think his body is really pretty close to college ready. And I think he's going to, he's going to play like, like he is. So I think he's a four, three end. Uh, I know that Virginia, Virginia tech, uh, North Carolina state. I'm trying to remember who else he had, he had told me when I spoke with him, he had been interested in, uh, there's several ACC schools there, but somebody is going to get a really complete pass rusher. He's one of the one of the mid-state guys that hasn't committed yet in this 2021 class that I'm really interested in because he's a quality football player and he's going to be an important part of somebody's class. Now, I know last year you had your eye on a player that uh, you thought was uh, too far under the radar that uh, that really could you thought – uh, was a was a not so much a diamond in the rough as just as much as an un you know unfound gem. Uh, do you have any of those guys? There are a few of those guys still floating around. Uh, one of the guys that I'm I'm and I'm going to keep bringing him up till somebody <laughs> at a big school gives this kid kid an offer is Tyroid Good at Cane Ridge, man. Yeah. I know he gets overshadowed a bit by Adonai Mitchell, and he gets overshadowed a bit by Quentin Barnes, but Good is a seriously talented receiver. Uh, He's just a playmaker, man. Every time this kid gets his hands on the ball, it seems like he scores. You can hand it to him. You can throw it to him. You can kick it to him, punt it to him. He's played a little defensive back. He just he scores from all over the field. He makes impact plays all over the field. He's a really good player, and I'm he's one of those guys that I'm excited to see get a senior season because I think really good tape is going to help him climb a bit. Uh, he's a very very good player that's that's under the radar, and I really would like to see do well. He's he's probably the most one of the most underrated guys I think in the mid state especially in terms of the seniors. And then another guy is Jalen Macon at Hillsboro. Uh, talking about a, a big, strong quarterback, uh, good feet, good mechanics, big arm. Uh, got a new quarterback coach now in, in former Tennessee Titans, Zach Mettenberger, who, of course, started LSU, played in the NFL, started some games for the Titans. Uh, really excited to see what, comes from Mettenberger or what comes from comes from Macon with that time with Mettenberger excited to see him getting getting that chance to play Uh, I think somebody is I think he's probably going to wind up at a group of five program or a smaller power five program but I really think somebody's going to get a a really complete and talented player in Macon if they decide to go with him well, and it's so funny you uh, you say that because Chris actually covered uh, Tyroid Good last week yep. uh, at the Smyrna game, mm-hmm. and I got to see Jalen Macon up close at the Hillsborough Beach game. So, uh, yeah, we both got uh, really good looks, and yeah, they were both very very impressive. Especially Tyroid Good, and I had some video on him basically making a fourth quarter catch where he had to go right through the defender and take the ball away from him. On their last series, just you, you hit the nail on the head. The kid just makes plays all over the place. And one thing, I'm, I'm, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to throw one more kid in here, and 
if if there is any coach at a at a FBS program listening, I need you to forget about height for one minute because Ivan Dayton at Pearl Cone is a football player. Oh, bless your now, heart. <laughs> now he he may be he might be five three if you stretch him. He is he he might be five three if you stretch him, but he runs like he's a six foot tall, two hundred twenty pound power back, and he's a national indoor track champion in I think it's the eighty the eighty meter sixty or eighty meter sprint indoor under eighteen. He's the, he's the the national champion. If this kid gets the corner, it is over with. He runs so hard. He's so quick on his feet incredible acceleration he breaks tackles like he's 40 pounds heavier than he is smart kid lays it all on the line good hands he's a great kick and punt returner some i keep going back to guys like dave meggett and darren sproles Mm -hmm. and i and i know these are guys that just put up sensational numbers in high school but you can be short and be an extremely effective player in college football. And Ivan Dayton, for me, is a kid that if he was six inches taller, people would be beating down his door, and, and I don't understand that. I really would love to see him get a shot at the next level. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, for I agree. sure. Uh, well, I think that's all the time we got for this segment. Brandon, really appreciate you coming on with us this week and uh, talking some recruiting with us. And uh, we'll catch you down the line. I know uh, – We'll probably at least cross paths at least once this year. Yeah. Hey, guys. I, Go ahead. I, I appreciate it, and thank you guys for having me. Uh, always good to come on and talk with you guys. I, I enjoy it every time. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, folks, you can uh, catch uh, VR2 on Twitter at, uh, v, uh, at VR2 on SI, and uh, you can catch them on Facebook at uh, VR2. is Vault Recruiting Reports. Uh, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you guys again. Thanks so much. All right. After the break, we will get back with who you got on the 615 Preps podcast. So stay with us. Welcome back. Time of that program to pick who we think are going to win some of the best games of the week. Scott, it is time for who you got. And we start looking at last week's stuff. We were all kind of in the same boat. We had one game that got canceled because of, of COVID cases or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, the people actually went up 7-2 and two last week, so they, they had the best week. And they, they kind of closed the gap on, on us a little bit. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the, I, I told you the people would catch up with us sooner or later. Yeah, we uh, we, we put them all on the website last week, and the people didn't like that. So they're all back on Twitter this week. So you can vote on those games up until kickoff this week, and let us know who you think is going to win. We start with Wilson Central at Laverne, a very intriguing contest because of the running backs involved. And we obviously have seen we've seen both of these of these backs in Ollie and Ray Banner, and they're going to go head to head this week. This will be a fun one. Yeah, I mean, that Wilson Central defense is is really really good. That front five is going to be really good. Uh, likely to give uh, you know, Laverne some fits trying to run the ball. So I think a lot of it's going to wind up on Dre Webb. 
uh, at least to kind of loosen up that defense. Um, that I, I, there's another banner out there that you can't forget about, and that's Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take. I think it's going to take him loosening up that that defense to uh, to, to really get that uh, Wolverine offense going. Now. There's another back on that field, and that's Xavier Ali for Wilson Central. I mean, this is a great, great matchup of yeah. backs. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been fortunate this year to cover, you know, and, and have several games in the Mid-State where we had uh, two good backs going against each other, and this is another one of those cases. The issue I see here, the biggest issue is can the, what, can the Wolverines' defense step up uh, against Wilson Central? And right now – I don't know that that's the case. They haven't shown it yet. Now, they may, you know, they can always continue to evolve and improve, but I think in this particular case, I'm going to go with the Wildcats in this game. Wilson Central's given everybody fits in the last few weeks. They played Mount Juliet really close. You know, they wound up beating Gallatin a couple of weeks ago, and they're playing pretty good football right now, and defensively, it's a big reason why. And Although I think Ray Bander will have a good night, it may not be good enough to get Laverne out of there with a win. And I'm like you. I like Wilson Central in that one as well. Hillwood and Hunter's Lane is one of those Metro one of those Metro games with playoff implications because those two teams, you know, they're going to be fighting for that number four spot in, in Region 6 and Class 5A. Yeah, and it, once again, these, these Metro schools, you really don't know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, this early in the season, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, what we knew we would see out of out of Metro schools, which was uh, issues with uh, penalties and turnovers and special teams formation problems, things of that nature that really, really have caused some issues. Um, but Hunter's Lane's got a, a pretty good bevy of backs there and a good quarterback in Ashan Motley. Uh, he he did a, a really good job in that win at uh, Antioch of uh, managing the game through some balls. But, again, a lot of that game, uh, there were a lot of high passes and things like that that they're going to get have to get calmed down and and, and get, uh, get better at. Um, Hillwood, another team that uh, you really just don't know what you're going to get right now with them. But – I think this has a chance to be a really, really good game. Um, I like the speed on Hunter's Lane, though. I really do. I think I'm going to go with Hunter's Lane and the Spartans here. This has the potential to be a shootout because of the quarterbacks in in this game. Um, I said Spartans. That was wrong. I'm going with Hunter's Lane. Yeah, there you go. Warriors. (laughs) Warriors. There we go. Yeah, I knew they were some kind of (laughs) – I'm going to go Hillwood in this one. I think that uh, this may be a high-scoring game, and they've been able to you know, get some stuff done offensively in the first couple of, first couple of weeks. So I will take I'll take the Hilltoppers in this one, and uh, we'll we'll go separate ways in that one. Next on our list is Davidson Academy at USJ, and a critical game for the Bears as this is kind of their biggest hurdle remaining in the regular season. It's a rematch of the state championship game from last year. USJ, the only one really that, that gave him a, a good game at this point. And, uh, this kind of seems on paper like it still might be a bit of a mismatch, though. I, it, it does. I, I mean, USJ 
does have a an excellent offense. Um, you know, they're allowing uh, – they're averaging uh, 34.6 yards per game. Defense, on, defense only allowing 10 defense. What the heck? Um, their quarterback, Andrew Smith, in six games has uh, a th- over 1,000 passing yards, 15 TDs, only one pick. So they do take care of the ball. Um, averaging 120 yards a game on the ground. Got a good back in Miles Mayos with a uh, 6.5 yards per carry average. But to me, the strength of the USJ team is their, is their receiving core. Um, Steel Haynes uh, is a solid linebacker, but he's a great receiver out of the backfield. He's got seven TDs. And then they've got a wide receiver, Tyke Tabor. I love those names. Steel Haynes, Tyke Tabor. I mean, you know, sounds like, you know, Starsky and Hutch or, you know, Hardcastle and McCormick, you know. Uh, but uh, he's got 320 yard, uh, yards receiving and eight touchdowns. But but they've not met A.J. Quinn and company yet. Um, this Davidson Academy defense almost takes uh, scoring personally, <laughs> honestly. Um, I honestly believe that they've got the, the defensive backs in Kelvy Rice and Juju Orr uh, to lock down those receivers. I think they've got a good rusher in Kendall Ball that can harass Smith. I, I honestly believe that A.J. Quinn needs to be the leading tackler in this game and will be because if it gets to Griffin Sweeney at the safety, that means the passing game's getting going. Um, that being said, I honestly believe that with the Davidson Academy offense and Jared Vitato, uh Throwing the ball well and Griffin Sweeney being Griffin Sweeney and doing what he does, I like uh, I like the Bears here. Yeah, I do too. And I just think that this defense has been so good this year, other than maybe a half against FRA, that until somebody can really pile points up against them, I won't be convinced that that Davidson Academy isn't going to run, run the table and. This is their biggest hurdle in the regular season. It'll go a long way toward the region title, and I think the Bears will wind up getting this one too. Montgomery Central and Springfield's next, and we talk about Region 5, Class 4A, all the time about how wacky it's been in the last year or so. It's headed that direction again. Now, this is a game Springfield can really just take control of the region if they win this one, but if they don't, then... We're headed toward crazy town again. I think we're there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, just based on the last one. Fair. Uh, That's uh, fair. No, I mean, this region is a mess after the first two teams, really. I mean, I think, like you said last uh, last podcast, the only team out of it is Portland at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that being said, I think the Indians can get their get-out-of-jail-free card if they can pull this upset. Um, yeah. They've struggled, though, to score points. You know, they've been shut out, what, 21 to nothing in the last two contests? Um, again, defense is great, but it's hard to keep teams off the board uh, if you're giving up turnovers on uh, special teams, if your uh, defense is getting gassed. Um, Springfield, this team, you know, they have speed to burn. Springfield's going to be Springfield. They're going to have speed. They're going to score. They've got – Kevontis Hudson at quarterback. And, you know, they're no slouch on defense either. So, 
I don't think Logan Sykes is going to have a whole lot of room to maneuver this week. I expect Kavantes uh, Hudson to have a good day in the defensive backfield. I expect him to have a good day. Uh, I think he'll he'll make several tackles. He, it wouldn't surprise me to see him with a with a pick or two. Um, I expect the Yellow Jacks dial up the pressure on the Indians really, really toughly. Uh, this one could get ugly. It really could. Uh, the Indians are going to have to run the ball and just try to keep uh, the Jacks off the field. I'm going Springfield. Springfield has had a couple weeks since that loss to Marshall County. that They've had a little time to think about it, and I think they'll come back with a renewed – a renewed vigor for the final four weeks. They're all they're all region games for them, so they're not going to overlook anybody, and they're certainly not going to look overlook the Indians. And yeah, I, I think Springfield wins this one going away. I, I like the Yellow Jackets here as well. The Cat County and Smith Counties next. You know, th- these were teams that didn't get off to good starts, but both of them have have started to improve as of late. This one's a little tougher to call for me, but uh, I kind of like the Cap County here. I think that they're starting to get their offense kind of in in motion now. Now Smith County is is they've got a lot of youth up front. They've got a lot of youth in the backfield, but I think they're about a year away from really you know winning some of these games, Scott. Yeah, I mean, who'd have thunk it when we saw Smith County in the spotlight game against Gordonsville? They'd have the inside track to the postseason. At this point. Yeah. So, but, you know, what we saw out there was we saw a team with size. We saw a team with speed that was just young. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also saw a team that was playing on a sloppy track, too. But, um, you know, they've got a quarterback, Johnny Lada, who's, uh, you know, he's a pretty good game manager. Um, you know, they have used a combination of timely defense and strong running game to get as far as they have. But DeKalb County uh, features one of the upper Cumberland's best quarterbacks in Alex Aldino. Um, you know, he's an accurate passer. He has a good feel for the pocket. He's an excellent scrambler. Uh, their offense, like you said, is averaging nearly 33 points a game. Defensively, their ball hawking squad, uh, they force Livingston Academy into five picks. Um, you know, the three teams they've lost to are combined 18-3, and three, and all three lead their regions. So, this is no slouch of a DeKalb County team. Um, I think the game shouldn't be close. I think DeKalb has all the advantages in all phases. That being said, there is a scenario where Smith County can pull off this upset, but it may be involved the supernatural, a golden retriever that can kick field goals or something, a good luck charm. Uh, no, I think that Smith County would have to play a perfect game, but that's why we play them. Yeah. The Cab County's three losses came by six points, six points, and seven points early in the season. They've won three straight since losing to Watertown. They've played a lot better as of late defensively, especially having you know only given up 21 points in the last three games. Their defense is going to be the key in this game to you know, whether Smith County can can keep up with them. I don't think so. I think the Cab County wins this one going away. Yep. Let's take a break, and we'll come back for the rest of the picks and who you got. This is the 615 Preps Podcast. Stay with us. Finishing up, who you got? We've got Stratford and Pearl Cone next, and a region game crucial for both teams as far as seeding goes. Both teams still trying to find their legs, too. This is their third game back for Stratford and Pearl Cone, and, and I'm curious to see how this one goes. Stratford 
was embarrassed by Green Hill last week, so they've got a little something to prove. Yeah, that was. Uh, it wasn't just that they lost to Green Hill; it was the, in the manner that they did, uh, losing uh, fifty-two to six. But you know, sometimes the game can just get away from you. And you know, we you know, we've talked ad nauseum about you know Metro schools being behind the ball. Green Hill has had several games to get tuned up and and get prepared, whereas Stratford's had two. You know, so again, you, you know, turnovers and things like that. You've got to be patient. Thankfully, uh, it was. If you're going to lose a game like that, uh, it's better to do it outside your region. In all honesty, um, Pearl Cone. Uh, you know, they they got. It took them a half to get going against uh, East Nashville, especially their defense, because I believe this game was tied twenty-one at twenty-one at the half. Uh, and then they shut down uh, East Nashville uh, in the second half. You know, I've, Ivan Dayton is uh, he has a two-game uh, scoring streak. Uh, you know, Martino Owens is able to get the ball out to Barry and Brown, which is bad news to everyone in Region Five Three A. Um, you know, Pearl is very talented in the defensive backfield, which could make a long day for the Spartans. Their primary guy, Samuel Armistead, uh, he put up 176 yards passing. Uh, against Green Hill, which followed up the one 123-yard performance against Hunter's Lane. Uh, but he was sacked three times, so he's either going to run for a, like a madman or he's going to run for his life in this game. Um, you know, I think Pearl Cone is just too well-balanced here. I mean, if they can maintain their composure, they should win this game. I think Coach Brunetti is going to have his team settled in, dialed in, um, you know, a lot of the the you know by the third game, you, you're you're getting better with your position groups. You're getting better in your mindset. Uh, perhaps you're not as prone to make uh, you know over aggressive plays. And I think that Pearl Cone is just talent wise a little bit better. I agree, and I feel like the Firebirds are kind of starting to get going. You know, they, they had a tough outing against Hillsborough where they didn't score in regulation. Then it, they got moving in the second half against East Nashville. And this is going to be kind of their week to make a statement. If they let if they keep Stratford in the game, it could be trouble for them, but I don't think that they will. And I'm looking at Martino Owens as someone that I want to see, you know, his progression advancing a little bit more as the season goes on. We talk about Ivan Dayton. We talk about... Uh, Barry and Brown, we talk about William Griffin Parker for the, for the Firebirds, but Martino Owens is one that, that I just want to see how he develops the rest of the season because a lot of a lot of people are looking at him. And uh, th- this might be the night where he has a big game, and I, I like him to, to lead Pearl Cone to a win here. Another good one on Thursday night, CPA at Ravenwood. This one, I, this one's going to be a fun one to cover. Who, you know, I – by the time I get done, I'll have a decision, but I still don't have one. <laughs> um, you know, CPA, you know, I know Cade Law and crew had to be more than ready to get back at it after sitting out with their COVID-related issues. Um, boy, they've got a murderer's row, a three-game stretch beginning with this game, and then they rolled a good pasture in, in Lipscomb. Um, I think this is going to be a test for the defensive backfield. Uh, Brewers Meyer, uh, Brewer Myers, Shelby Whiteside, uh, Reed Williford going up against the likes of Jake, uh, Jake Brenningstool and company. Um, I think that if they have to pass the ball, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough because Junior Colson's sitting out there. Um, Ravenwood, 
I think they need to get Justin Smitherman more involved in with the running game, not put so much on Trevor Andrews. Um, he can't turn the ball over against the Lions, or they're going to find themselves in the same boat they were against Brentwood, playing uh, playing catch up because this is an opportunistic Lions defense. And I think while the run game will be important for both teams, I believe it's going to be the utmost importance for the Raptors so they can open up, bring still on the seam, uh, get the Lions off balance. But, boy, CPAs had two weeks to prepare for this game. They've had, And you know Ingle Martin's guys have not had been on the Game Boy and everything else. They've <laughs> been focused. Uh, but I think that this – I think the Raptors have just had a little too much losing. I think they're going to be focused coming in this game. I like their I like their uh, talent. I think that they may just be able to pull this. Off. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a really really fun game. Yeah, for sure. But I think Ravenwood wins this. I'm inclined to go in the other direction and take CPA here. I think that CPA is playing as well. That's just about any team in the state right now, even before their COVID shutdown. And they're going to be they're going to be kind of fresh. They're going to be kind of healthy for this game, and that's going to be a big deal for them going up against Ravenwood team that finally got off the schneid beating Dixon County last week. Looking for Cade Law to have a big night, and he's going to have to, but I think that he will. And I like the Lions to win this one in a, in a pretty tight ball game. And uh, I'll be over there Thursday night, so it's going to be a fun one to to take in. It should be a great atmosphere, too, over there at Ravenwood. Usually it always is. Yeah. Lipscomb Academy at Rossview. Two teams that they're going in the right direction. But uh, you know, Rossview's got to put up with Lipscomb Academy's defense, who has pitched shutouts in three of the last four games. Yeah, but Rossview's coming off of a big, big win that uh, – Truthfully, I didn't see coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, they took down Mount Juliet and and held Mount Juliet to fourteen points, and that's that's a statement. Uh, that's a statement for your defense. But this is a whole other offense that they're going to be facing here. Uh, you know, Rossby, uh, you know, said they defeated uh, Mount Juliet the first time since two thousand six. Uh, they gave up 27 to Wilson Central in week one, and since then they have not given up over 14 points a game. They held Mount Juliet to nine yards rushing in the second half. Um, and then their defense, their offense, though, had a, had a little bit of struggle, didn't get really untracked until the second half. You can't do that against this. Two things. One, Mustangs throw the ball, and they throw it well. Okay, so, yeah. They've, they've got a much more balanced attack, I think, than Mount Juliet did with uh, Alex Broom in the backfield uh, and then uh, Luther Richardson uh, pitching. Um, yeah, and But their defense has pitched back-to-back shutouts while the offense has put up 40 points on the opposition each of the past four weeks. There may not be a hotter team in Middle Tennessee than the Mustangs. This defense turned Briarcrest over four times. Jaden Lyles forced a fumble and recovered another one. And, of course, as I said, Richardson is going to Richardson. Um, both teams come in riding four-game winning streaks, but with CPA looming on the horizon, uh, I think that the Mustangs are going to treat this as a tune-up game. 
Uh, I think that they are not going to look past them. I don't think there's any way Trent Dilfer would disrespect another team by even allowing that to happen. Um, I think Ross Hughes stays in the game for a while, but I think ultimately Lipscomb Academy, I think the Mustangs just just going to be too much. I agree. I think that uh, the Mustangs are riding pretty high right now, and the Rossview has played much, much better since that first loss to Wilson Central. But they're not going to face an opponent that's as versatile as Lipscomb Academy. And I, I like the Mustangs to get this win Thursday night and, and keep momentum going toward the back half of their schedule. White House Heritage and White House, this one's a crucial game in, in Region 5-4A. Yeah, this is our fan vote game. It is. And, boy, it was a runaway. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people who want to see this game. Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting game because it's really a contrast in styles in, in a lot of ways. Um, White House Heritage is a very much a running team. Jackson Mapes and Malachi Ilaramondi Ilar- uh, continue to be the primary weapons. There's no real surprise with them. They line up to run the ball, and they don't like to throw it too much. Um, it would be interesting if they do find a way to get Tay Francis in a rhythm. Uh, if they did, it's going to be a long night for the Blue Devils. I think the Patriots are one of those true teams in that they have a lot of solid players that everyone seems to contribute. Um, but the defense that started out so stingy has given up points in the last two weeks, and that's something that is uh, a little surprising. On the other side of the coin, you got a, a, a team in Winehouse, which is uh, – you know, lightning can strike at any time. This uh, they got a, a running back slash quarterback, uh, Raynan Blackburn, that makes his team go. He's a, kind of the true wildcat QB in that he's not afraid to throw the ball or run over a linebacker while he's carrying it. I mean, the, I, I watched the Portland game and watched him flat out run over a linebacker uh, as he was running down the field. Um, he's got a a good receiver in Bryson Harper that go up and battle for the ball, and a big back in Montreal Black that runs really well and ran well against Springfield. Um, the, the problem is this team's only averaging, you know, like 18 points per game, but I think that's getting better. And they played some quality opponents in Springfield, Watertown, and Trousdale, and then they took FRA to double overtime. How this game progresses is going to tell how this goes. If it's a low-scoring affair, I believe the Patriots are – that means the Patriots – are going to be able to run the ball effectively and keep the Blue Devil offense off the field. A track meet on the other side of it very much favors Blue Devils, I believe. But I just don't think that White House can keep up with a running game of heritage. They've just given up way too many running yards in the past. And I think that that's going to speak well. I think, uh, I think this is a grudge match. I think it's going to be close early. It may even be close late, but I think ultimately this is going to be White House Heritage's game. I, this one's tough for me to call because I feel like Rand Blackburn you know, can put this game on his shoulders and win it outright. White House, to me, they feel like they're about a year away from truly contending in this region, mm-hmm. but they're in a position now where you know, if they keep winning, they can get that number three spot. And this is such a critical game toward that standing. I feel like White House can get this one at home in front of their crowd. I'm going to take the Blue Devils this week. And I can't blame you. In this region, anything can happen. Absolutely. 
Got one more to get to. It's our biggest game of the week. It's our spotlight game of the week. NBA at Brentwood Academy. Big rivalry game. It's not a region game, but don't tell out to these teams. Oh, no, no. This I think this game is important to both sides. Um, you know, NBA, you know, what looked a week ago like a team on a mission has got now that uh, looks like a team that very much needs to put that game behind them. They've just got to put that JP uh, that JP two loss in the rearview mirror and forget about it. Um, you know, they allowed a lot of yards passing in that, which you know talk about in a second. Only gave up eighty four yards to Antoine Roberts. Uh, he did score two TDs, but still. Um, and offensively, they still continue to run the ball well with Weekin, uh, with Wilkin Hales. Uh, again, I think that they need to put that loss behind them, and a win against uh, Brentwood Academy would go a long way to re- to rebuild that confidence and swagger uh, that they had going into last week's game. Uh, but boy, you want to talk about confidence? The Eagles have it, in, you know, in in bulk. Uh, this is a team on a mission. I mean, Taylor Montiel is playing very, very well. Their passing game is peaking at the right time. They got two offensive linemen that are going to be facing off in the ACC next year. Uh, uh, Noah Josie just committed to University of Virginia. Eli Sutton's already committed to North Carolina. This offense was averaging 32 points uh, per game going into the game against Knox Central. I like Brentwood Academy this season. I think the leadership on this team and the fact they got left behind last year has had a profound impact on this team, I, I think that uh, I think the Brentwood win gave them pride to go with that purpose. I think that this team is on a mission. I think it's a tight game, and yeah, it could go either way. But right now, I just really like the way Brentwood's playing. I like I like this team as well, uh, and they do it in all three phases too—not just offense and defense, but special teams. Tegan, Tegan Linderink has been one of the best kickers in the state, and he's. Just a terrific leg. Got getting to see him kick against Knoxville Catholic. He has plenty of plenty of kickoffs go in and out of the end zone. He, he doesn't give you anything field position wise. And NBA is going to have to drive the length of the field to score against this team. And I'm not sure they're capable of doing it against a Brentwood Academy defense that has been very good so far this year. I like the Eagles here too in this one, and uh, I think that uh, we might see. A kind of a quarterback duel between Marcel Reed and Taylor Montiel, but ultimately I think that the Eagles will come out on top of this one. But one thing they'll have to keep an eye on, weather. If the weather is really bad, that bodes well for Montgomery Bell. Yeah. They have a little bit better, I think a little bit more potent running game. Yeah. So I think that that very well could come down to it. But I like what you said about special teams I think that you're exactly right, and it could very well come down to that. A lot of a lot of games could be affected by weather this week. If uh, the storm gets in early enough and we get some rain, then who knows what might happen. But uh, a lot remains to be seen in that in that department. But that's all the time we've got for this week. So thank you for joining us for the Six One Five Preps podcast. We will catch you next week. Take care, everyone. See you later. The 615 Preps Podcast is a production of B-Squared Media, LLC. Our theme music is A Closet Full of Bones by Mama Tried and is used with their permission. You can download their music on the 615preps.com website or on SoundCloud. 
Your hosts for the 615 Preps podcast are Chris Brooks and Scott Burton. You can follow Chris on Twitter at cbrookstn and Scott at sburton615.